And amen. Oh, thank you guys for setting that up. I love, I love those things that you just shared. I really appreciate that. And, uh, and here we are. We're in the Summer of Scriptures. Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff again, and welcome to uh, our time in the Word. This, this we do every summer. We go to Summer in the Scriptures. This time is what is in the Bible and why. And it's our attempt to try to connect all the dots and figure out, like, all right, so what's all this for? And a uh, little, little plug, if you have not connected all the dots and would love to go through the seminar, uh, that's some coming up on Saturday, Saturday the 10th, 9 to 12. You can sign up on our website and all, on all the places. Um, and we are going to go Genesis to Revelation. You can see how all the dots are, especially if you love charts and maps, and it's going to be super nerdy. So don't come if you're not a nerd. I'm telling you right now, it's going to be super great. Um, and, these, and, and what we've said as we go through this whole story of God, Genesis to Revelation this summer, we said that it's, an, it's, an in, it's the story of an invitate, if God's invitation to know him. Remember when we said that? It's the story of God's invitation to know him. And, and further, it's the story of, remember these three things? The love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and anybody remember the last one? The presence of the Holy Spirit. So this is the story that we're in, and we're now at this part uh, of the, that's called the historical books, which, um, man, as they said, there is a lot in here. Do you need timeline stuff here? This is what you need. You need like a timeline like this, which you're not going to see, but you, I hope you own a timeline like that, like that you can go, how does all this stuff fit together? Like the Pentateuch that we just looked at, the first five books of the Bible, and then where are we in the narrative of history? I just, the, there's, these are incredible timelines right here. Anybody want? Oh, nerding out right there, shaking your head. Is this going to be helpful for you, a little handout? Anybody need a, ta- a timeline handout? Wanna, oh, yeah. I'm going to give, wait, Tom, you can have that right there. I'm going to actually do one better. I got it from this, which is a, there's color on every page, friends, and an explanation. Everything I got from my sermon, I got from this one book right here, the Bible with the, there, there you go. You got that. All right. Somebody else right now is feeling like, I'm never seen. All right, I got one more. Who wants one? Who wants, oh, I saw that hand way up over there. That's so exciting. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're preaching next week, okay? I just, there you go. All right, so, uh, you know, this is not going to help you, this timeline up here, but here, here's what I want you to know. I want you to get a timeline and look at it at some point when you connect all the dots. This is where we are in history. You're like, wait, so where is it in history? Is it like, like fuzzy history, like heaven history, or is it like history history? You know, the Pentateuch that Ben talked about, it. just think 2,000 years ago, uh, before Christ, so 4,000 years ago, is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, is, if that's, is that's helpful. Two, 2,000 years before Christ. 1,500 years before Christ is Moses. Does that help you? Ish. Now, depending on the way that archaeologists are dating different things, it could be a couple hundred years off. Like, which pharaoh are we talking about? So, you know, plus or minus a couple hundred years. But just think 2,000 years ago, really, David, you're taking a picture of that slide? I'm going to email that to you as soon as church is over. Actually, do you have one of these, David? Do you need a full timeline? Is that what you need? Right here, bro. This is... This is, on every page, there's a color and timeline there. Okay, here we go. Um, so 1,500 years before Christ is Moses and the Exodus, right? They're slaves in Egypt, then they go out of Egypt, then they're wandering in the desert. Think 1,500 years before Christ. And then about 1,400 years before Christ is this time where they get all the way through the desert and they get on the edge of the promised land and they're standing on on the uh, other side of the Jordan, facing west, and they're looking into the land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants What's, at that point, 600 years before that, right? And Moses dies, 
and Joshua takes over. And that's the end of those first five books. And this is the beginning of the historical books. That's what we're looking at, is about 1,400 years before Christ is Joshua. Now, this is gonna be a time where they then enter over the Jordan and into the land, and they possess that land. And this becomes a time where they enter in, they organize into a nation state, they have leaders called judges, remember that? And then they end up having the kings, so it's David and, like Saul and David and Solomon. So timeline? Abraham 2,000 years before Christ, Moses 1,500 years before Christ, these kings, David, Solomon, about 1,000 years before Christ. Is that helpful? And all the prophets are involved in all of these kinds of things, and the, the nation ends up dividing, right? God's people can't be unified and can't stay together and can't pull it together and can't get along, and the, the nations divide, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, northern kingdom's 10 tribes, southern kingdom's two tribes, just Jerusalem or uh, Judah where Jerusalem is and Benjamin, and they end up separating. And then around 700 years before Christ, the Assyrians come in, wipe out the top, the, the northern tribes. You ever heard of the 10 lost tribes of Israel? That's what it refers to because the Assyrians wiped them off the map. They no longer existed about 700 years before Christ. Another 150 years later, something like that, five, let's, say, let's say 600 years before Christ, the Babylonians came over and wiped out the southern tribes, including Jerusalem and took all those guys into captivity in Babylon. Sound familiar when you're reading Daniel and all that kind of stuff? So this is where, this is the timeline of all of these things. And then uh, around 500 years before Christ, after 70 years in captivity, God does a thing. This is all history, you with me? Any nerds in the room? Anybody else need a Bible? I got more. If you, if you want the, the history, what? Over here, there's a hand being raised right here. All right, we're getting you a Bible. Who's got it? Who are you pointing at, Jennifer? Okay, right here. They're pointing at you because you were too nice to ask again. There you go, bro. They saw your hand earlier when I ignored you. So well done, everyone. All right. So our online community is like, where did he go? All right, here I am. So, so the Babylonians have now ruled and, the, and Israel is living over in Babylonic captivity and God raises up a king. The Persians now take over Babylon. And the Persian king Cyrus goes, yo, Israelites, you got to go back to your land and serve your God. Everything was hopeless. And God's like, no, no, my story's going to continue. And so he sends them back into the land and they come back to rebuild the temple and to rebuild their land in about, and the temple was reconstructed in 516 before Christ, BCE. Now, that's the historical books. 1400, Joshua's standing on the edge about to go over into the promised land, 1400 years before Christ, to 516 BC when they rebuild the temple back in the land. Now, if you're like, what? That is so cool. I didn't know that was like actual history and story. Yeah, we'll do timelines. We'll talk more. We'll look at all the books of the Bible in our seminar, Genesis to Revelation on Saturday, if you want to come. All right, but here's the summary of it all, you guys. Here's the summary of it all. History, as we see, as Ben said, history repeats itself, and God is still good. That's what we see in the historical books, that history is repeating itself over and over and over again, and yet God is still good. And the history repeating itself part is not super encouraging, right? So the history repeating itself is full of people and people's ways and the ways in which it is, and we'll talk more about that in just a second, but history repeats itself, but come on now, God is still good. Not just good like nice, but good like his promises 
will be fulfilled. Good like his plan of salvation will not be thwarted. Good like he's still sovereign over it all, right? But that's what we see in these historical books. Look at this one verse in Nehemiah chapter 10, which is at the end of the historical books uh, that just sums it up. This is the people crying out to God. This is what they say, Nehemiah 10 verse 32. says this, in all that has happened to us, they're praying, God, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Oh, come on, I, mean, so I heard an amen. Somebody's like, hey, tell the truth, right? In all that's gone on. So this is what the historical books are all about. In fact, the historical books start with that story in Joshua chapter one, and it's the, the, um, the passage that Danny, Pastor Danny referred to a minute ago, Joshua one. Let's look at that. In fact, uh, maybe you even just want for the fun of it to have the Bible in front of you uh, open so you can see the table of contents and to look at, uh, at some of these texts. But Joshua chapter one, this is how God's explaining how it could go to people. He's like, this is how it could go. So Joshua one, be strong and very courageous. Now this is God talking to Joshua, looking out over the promised land. Like, okay, you've been wandering in the desert. I promised this 600 years ago to, to Abraham. Then you guys ended up wandering around forever, and then you ended up in Egypt as slaves, and then you ended up in the desert wandering for 40 years, and then here you are. Be strong and very courageous. Why? Because even though history repeats itself, God is what? He's good. He's faithful, right? So he goes, so be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may be successful. If you follow me, he's saying, If you walk with me, he's saying, if you receive my invitation to be in relationship with me, then my will gets done and prosperity is there. And not prosperity, just riches, but prosperity in the plan of God unfolding in your life. And he goes on to say in verse eight, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Read it with me if you're in the room. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This this is a whole story of God's invitation to know him. And so this is the beginning of the historical books to go look at. If you you have my way and if you walk with me, then that's how life was designed to be. But history repeats itself, and boy, did it keep repeating itself from Joshua 1 all the way through the book of Nehemiah that we were just looking at as they would be faithful and be unfaithful as God continued to write his salvation story. And is that not our story? I heard somebody earlier say amen, that we knew we had God's way, we walked with God, and then we started to thwart his Rule, rule over our lives. We wandered far from him. We found ourselves going in the desert land as opposed to in the land of milk and honey. We found ourselves taking things under our own control and making a mess of it and then having to bottom out and then ask God to show up. And in his mercy, he keeps coming. Come on now. And then we receive his grace and we walk with God. And then we start itching to live our own lives out from underneath his lordship. And history repeats itself again and again. 
And again, that's our story. I just sat with um, a, a young guy in our church that the other day, and we had a beverage, and we were talking, and I started, he, he was asking about a part of my story, and I was recounting a part of my story where I had wandered so far from God as a young man, and how God, even without me, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't know what I did in this thing, but he just intervened and called me back. And I wept at this restaurant recalling a story that was 40 years old. He's just like that. History repeats itself and God is still good. That's our stories. And this was their story. And so during the whole era, this thousand years-ish from, four, from four, uh, 1400 years before Jesus as they were standing on the edge of the promised land to when they finished not only rebuilding the temple, but then building the walls and possessing the whole land in 400 something years before Christ. So Joshua 1 is one bookend of it, but I want to look at the other end in our time left over. I want to look at the other end, the other part of this historical books and, and look at the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. It used to be one, it's one book in the Hebrew uh, texts, but Ezra, Nehemiah, and I want you to turn with me to chapter 3 of Ezra. Because I want to look, this tells the story of now that they are, have come, they are coming back into the land. It's sort of the final cycle of having walked with God, fallen away from God, received God's mercy, walked with God, fallen away from God, received God's mercy. It's the final cycle of that. And they're now coming back from 70 years in exile in Babylon and the, their land is destroyed. Their people are gone. The 10 tribes from the north are lost. Most people decided to stay in Babylon and just settle down and live there. But the true people of God were like, no, we're going back to our land. And I want to look at that a little bit and what goes down in this. So now we're at like 537, 538 BC, something like that. And we come to Ezra chapter three. And I want to just read the first couple of verses. So when the seventh month came, I don't think you have that one in your slide, this is verse one, to the Israelites, they settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then verse two, look at this. Then Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, begin to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So this is what I want to do. I want to look at who's involved here and what they're doing as they come back. Now listen, their whole thing is wiped out. Their identity as God's people are gone. Most of their people have disappeared from the face of the earth. They're coming back with a remnant of people who want to be true to God. They're coming into God's place. What are they going to do? Who are they going to be? Well, that's a clean start. You might say, you come out of a global pandemic and everything in your life changes. You may have lost a lot of what you had. All of your rhythms are new. Everything has changed. You may have suffered incredible grief during this time, or maybe just your world got turned upside down and we stand at the edge and we go, all right, so now what am I gonna do now? And so it lists a couple of people. Joshua, it lists Joshua. Now this isn't the same Joshua at the other end, which is so interesting. Listen, when you read the scriptures, I don't know if God planned this, a little wink, wink, sense of humor. He named this guy Joshua, and then he ends up being a player in this whole thing because the first Joshua stood on the edge to go into the promised land, right? 900 years before. And then this Joshua is there, and it starts to tell Joshua, uh, he's the, he is a, a, um, a high priest. 
And he was the son of a high priest named Jehozadak. Jehozadak, we know, was taken into exile earlier. And so he knows his dad knew the promised land. His dad got dragged into exile. He was maybe born in exile, Joshua was. And he longed for the freedom of the people of God back in their land, right? So he had this vision that came from his dad. Oh, by the way, okay, we don't have time to preach this. Hey, dads, are you given a vision? Hey, moms, are you matriarchs? Are you giving a vision for the people that follow you that they long for the best and the deepest and the richest experience with God? So even when it skips generations, are you grandma? Are you sharing that with your kids? Oh, can you see I'm excited about this? He caught a vision, not even ever living in the promised land. He never stepped foot in it, but he caught a vision for what it would be like to be God's people and to live faithfully to God. Oh, this is such good stuff. And his name was Joshua, which is the same Joshua that stood on the edge, which by the way is, is Yehoshua, which is changed later in time to Yeshua, which in the, in the Greek was Iesus, which we translate what? Jesus, he's named after Jesus. Come on, you can't make this stuff up. You know where I learned all that? I learned all that in this book. It has color on every page. Does somebody want one of these? I mean, it gives you, yeah, seriously. I mean, there's so many good things in there. Okay. All right. I don't have time for that at all. All right. And then he's with Zerubbabel. Say Zerubbabel. Yeah, Zerubbabel. You know what Zerubbabel means? It means born in Babylon. That's his whole existence. Same thing. He was born in Babylon. And he, let, look at this. He was the grandson of the second to last king before they got brought out into Babylon. So he was the last of the Davidic line to rule over the people in the, in the, in the promised land. And so, uh, and there's so much good stuff about Zerubbabel. I wish that you could know he ended up, but he was also a, Jesus was one of his descendants. So here we have these two people. That's none of that was my sermon. Okay, I got to get going. Here we go. And so they go, they bring those people. So what does it say about those guys? So they, and they, so Joshua and Zerubbabel and their, their people, their priests and their leaders, there's priests and leaders. They begin to do what? You see it in the text? The first thing they do, they build the altar. Point number one this morning in all this, in this text when asked, what is it I'm going to do next? They come and re, they rebuilt the altar. This is the first thing they did. They had no more structure. They didn't have the temple. They didn't have their, their places. They settled in these towns and they go, we got to build the altar. Why? Because the altar is the place where heart worship happens. It is the place of devotion and practice of our dependence on God. The text that we looked at says, despite their fears of the people around them, and I would say despite all that they had to do to try to resettle in this land, despite all the obstacles around them, they said we have to rebuild the altar to start offering sacrifices. Why? Because it says you are our God and we are your people and we are sold out for you without any of the other trappings of religion, without any of the other trappings of their culture, this was what they had settled on. It's the heart work of worship. All of the rest of the structures of their life, secular or religious, were secondary to the altar where they said, we're sacrificing to you, God, because you mean everything to us and we're devoted to you alone. I love that. Got invited back into the land. What are they going to do? 
We're going to rebuild the heart worship life of Israel. Oh man, is it time for you to rebuild, by the way? That's the first thing that they did. But notice, you know, there is a, it's heart, but there's a physicality to it. There's an accountability to it. There's a community aspect to it. There's a ritual aspect to it, right? They actually went and did something. They said, let's morning and evening, the text says, if you've got it open in Ezra 3. They said morning and evening they offered the sacrifices, meaning they didn't let any time pass without settling the issue that their hearts were for him. That's what we do. That's why we gather together. That's why we stayed gathering together online during the pandemic. That's why we come to the table once a month. We are going to keep remembering the heart of what we're doing. That we are devoted to him and him alone. And everything else, whether I have to watch it online during a pandemic, whether I have to travel uh, on Sunday night to get to wherever I need to go on my business trip, whether or not I've got, uh, um, we've got, we're doing great with our budget or not doing great with our budget. I mean, it, the heart of worship is the altar. That's what they said is this is our God. So they rebuilt uh, and we're your people. They rebuilt the altar. And then the second thing they did was, and we'll look at it in the scriptures in a sec, they rebuilt the foundation of the temple. They rebuilt the altar and then they rebuilt the foundation of the temple. If you look back at the text, uh, do I have time to read in the, okay. So, um, so, we, so they rebuilt the altar and then verse six, on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple hadn't yet been laid. There it is. It's like we didn't have any other structures, but we're going to go do the heart work. Then verse seven, they gave money to masons and carpenters and gave food and drink to, and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. God used a non-Christian king to get his way done. I love that. In the second month of the seventh year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem began the work, and they appointed Levites 20 years old or older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. That, that's not smart. 20-year-olds can't do that. And Joshua and his sons and brothers and Cadmiel and his sons and descendants of Hodaviah and the sons of Henadad and their sons and brothers and all the Levites joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. Then verse 10, look, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with their trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by King David of Israel and with praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, what? He is good. And his love toward Israel endures forever. Oh, history repeats itself. But God is good. So why were they so stoked? What was happening? Since then, the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been built. The whole temple wasn't there. All the ritual wasn't back installed. All of the structure wasn't there. They weren't safe in the land. They weren't God's people in God's land, fully secure, but their heart was set. They're gonna be offering worship. And then all they did was get the foundation done. Why was the foundation so significant to them? Because of the temple, even just the foundation. Listen, what's the temple about, friends? What's the temple about? It demonstrates the presence of God among his people. 
presence was always at the promise as it was to Moses when he, when he was at the burning bush. He said, you go lead my people. Moses said, where? And, and, and Moses goes, and God says, I'm gonna tell you where. Abraham, 2,000 years before Christ, he goes, I'm gonna send you to a land. He goes, what land? He goes, a land I'm gonna show you later, but I will go with you. That's been the promise. And the temple was the symbol of the very presence of God among them. And so when they came back into the land, they built the foundation. Just seeing the foundation, they're like, not only do we know that we're devoted to him, but we know that his promises will be true and he is with us. Oh, it settled the truth in them just seeing the foundation built. Remember what the invitation is in this, or what the story is of this whole Bible? It's the story of an invitation to know God for relationship with him. And so they get, so they rebuild the altar and then they rebuild the foundation. They rebuild saying, we are a people solely devoted to you. That's the work of worship. And then they say, and you are among us. And that was the faith that they lived out of, knowing that they were truly God's people and he was truly with them. And so all of their dreams and all of their schemes and all of their difficulties and all of, was all in the, seen through the lens that God is present with us. That's what they did when they came into the land. Is it time for you to rebuild the heart work of worship? I am yours alone. The foundation that girds everything in your life that you are with me, God. Is it time for you to rebuild? Well, I don't want you to miss this before I'm done. Look at the last verse in this uh, Section verse 12, it says, but many, as they gave a shout to the Lord, but many of the older priests and Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple, pause now, think about it. They were in exile 70 years. So now the old folk, I didn't mean to make eye contact with you, Al, I'm sorry. Who, who 70 years, like they had seen the old temple before it was destroyed. They had heartbreak at that. Then they went to exile and then God did all these miracles and brought them back. Those people came back, saw the foundation. What happens? They wept aloud when they saw it. Later we find out the reason that they wept aloud is that they were comparing the size of what it looked like before. We had so much beauty and glory and we've had so much hardship and when we come back, this is it? Listen, we look at how things used to be. We look at what God had given us. We look at a past story and think that was it, that was glory. And history repeats itself. But God will always write his story and be faithful and be good, even if it looks different. Now listen, I want to read you the text, and I'm going to close. Almost done with this. This is in Haggai. Haggai was a prophet during this time who was talking to all these people. Now listen to what he says. Listen, he goes, in the second year of the King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, this is all this time when they were rebuilding the temple. Listen, you got to hear this. This is so amazing. Haggai, you don't even know where Haggai is. You got, you, we need table of contents. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Here's the word of the Lord, friends. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak. You know these guys already. The priest of God. And to the remnant of the people, God says, speak to them and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? 
does it not seem to you like nothing? This is the Lord. He goes, I know what you're thinking. I see you see the foundation. You see it smaller. You see what you used to have. And now you see the foundation of what's ahead for me. He goes, but now it seems like nothing to you. But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Now listen, where did we hear be strong? Joshua chapter one, the other bookend of the historical books. You be strong. Why, how come we're strong? Because God will have his way. So be strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of Israel, declares the Lord. And you work, for I am, what do you think it's going to say? With you, says Yahweh. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted to you, with you, when you came out of Egypt. When my spirit and, and my spirit remains among you, so do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, the Lord says, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations, what the whole world is longing for, will come. This is Jesus. What the whole world is longing for will come, and listen what he says, and fill this house. And the glory of the former house will pale in comparison to the glory of this house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will bring shalom. The hope of the world was coming through Christ and nothing was gonna thwart God's plan of salvation through all of history repeating itself. People faithful, people unfaithful, people needing God, God compassionately showing up. He goes, I'm gonna bring the savior to the world and bring peace. That's the historical books. Come on, you don't, don't, don't tell me the Bible is boring. <laughs> Maybe you need one with color on every page. I don't know. <laughs> Is it time for you to rebuild? That's a question I want to pose to you. And band, I want you guys to come up and let's take us into the, our final moments and come to the table together. Is it time for you to rebuild, to rebuild the heart, devotion to the Lord, sold out, you are my God and I live for you alone. Is it time for you to build, rebuild a foundation that everything you do is about God's presence with you? So do not be afraid, or his plan will come to fruition.